Welcome back to Resball. It's the 2024 trade deadline. It finally happened for our Detroit Pistons. They made quite a bit of moves. Andy and I recorded this last night, February 8th, 2024. So we're going to break down all of those trades here. And for me, Tom Gores looms large over this 2024 trade deadline. So let's get started right about now. everybody i'm here with andy aka data driven piston fan we are recording on february 8th thursday evening as the pistons are playing the trailblazers i believe right now and the trade deadline has happened so obviously that's the main topic we're going to talk about here before we get started andy let everybody know where they can find you on the interwebs you can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. It was a busy, it was a busy deadline. I'm not sure what we actually accomplished, but at least we were busy. We, we look like we did something. Yeah, we're going to break down the trades here as always. But before we get started, you know, I like to take the fan barometer. So let's go to Twitter and find out what the people are saying. Five days ago, Rip Rip Hank Hamkinton. I always some apologies, man. I always forget how to pronounce this. Rip Hamkinton at Red Alternate said Stanley Moody is shooting forty one percent on eight point six three point attempts for the Cruz. There's absolutely no reason the Pistons shouldn't be giving him a chance to earn some minutes. We've said that a ton. We couldn't agree with you more there, Rip. Dot Mike at To the Basket Pod four days ago said the Pistons were eleven and twenty four. In close games last season with a worse roster that included a long stretch late in the season in which they were actively not trying to win games. They're 2-18 and 18 in close games this season, despite having a better roster. Monty needs to be fired. Piston Powered at Piston Powered about eight hours ago says, Does anyone have a running total of the amount of money Tom Gores has paid players to not play for the Pistons? I don't know how this man is a billionaire. We need a list. Call them the Dwayne Dedman All-Stars. I think that's a great project. Somebody should definitely look into that because after today, that list got a lot longer as well. Uh, Chief Nickelman at Chief Nick 214, Chef Nick 214. So it's Chef Nickelman at Chef Nick 214 says, why does Troy not care about the small forward position? And he's replying to Piston News' Piston's final 15-man card after the chaotic trade deadline. It's something that you and I have said. It's something we've said um, for like a couple seasons. That was just like, why does the small forward position seem to always be neglected? Bias Houston, Will, or at Bias Houston, Will said, pursuing a star this summer is not smart in my opinion. We can delude ourselves all we want, but this roster isn't close to contending, and that is okay. Our best player can barely legally drink. Keep a slow building. Amen to that. And then Laz Jackson, Lazarus Jackson, of the formerly of DPP, at Laz Chance, that's at L-A-Z-D-H-N-C-E, says, LOL, so even when Troy does something I like, adding rotation NBA players, he loses value having to wave three dudes for nothing, just a steadfast refusal to do the little things. Andy, do you have any reactions to those tweets before we actually dive into trades? I I really liked Laz Jackson's, it like summarized everything exactly because honestly, I am so happy that they made trades because one of the things I said is you need to flip like <laughs> The entire roster. Keep the core that's on contract for next season. Get rid of any everyone else. If nothing else, just to change the entire environment, because the vets that you had did not impact winning at all. 
to bring anything back would be absurd. So I'm happy we made change. But then when you actually look at the changes and see what we actually accomplished, it's hard to get excited about what happened. But you're happy at least they made changes, even though it may not amount to much. So let's look at these changes right now. Of course, the big trade is with the New York Knickerbockers. We're sending out Bojan. We're sending out Alec Burks. And in return, the Detroit Pistons get Ryan Archdenako, Malachi Flynn, Evan Fournier, and the main guy, Quentin Grimes, 2028 second round pick and a 2029 second round pick. Andy, what did you think of this trade when you first saw it? Um, quite a few people had this trade on the internet, and I was at work today when the tweets were going out. So I didn't actually catch them right away. Like I tune in every hour or so. And I realized when most people saw this, they were ecstatic because it was only Alec Burks. And then a little while later, they were like, oh, it's Alec Burks and Bojan. But the stuff the Pistons are getting, that list didn't grow. So all of a sudden it went from a great trade. Troy Weaver is amazing to, oh, I I guess we're we're happy with this. and. For me, the biggest thing as far as how I look at it is if you would have told people two months ago, we're going to trade Burks and Bojan to New York, and this is what we're going to get. Most people would have said, no, I'm not happy with that. But since it's happened, now they're kind of convincing themselves like, oh, no, this is this was a good return. I'm, I'm happy we did this when it's like, really, this was the, the best we could have got. For me, I'm happy because I wanted the vets moved. But in the end, the return. I don't think it's a great return. I am interested in seeing Grimes work with Ivy and with Cade. I think he will be a good fit with Sasser as well. They were teammates at Houston. So I like that. But let me see it on the court before I'm really excited. I'm not like over ecstatic with this return. Yeah. And I mean, we keep a real here. It's not a bad trade. Like anybody that just is going to poo all over 100%. Like you're just a hater at this point. But like Andy was saying, nobody would have been happy with this trade like a month or two ago. Everybody would have been like, both of them? Maybe from one of them. But now this is where we've gotten to. Number one, Archdenako and Flynn, they're waived. Right, correct? Like they're pretty much already waived. Flynn, Flynn, I think, is still on the roster, but I believe Archdenako is being waived. Well, there's one guy out. Fournier, is he going to be here past whenever his contract runs out, which I think is this year? Yeah, he has a team option for next year, so most likely he is not going to be kept because I believe we're going max cap space to do something stupid. So there's two players already that one's gone. They don't even matter. and The other one's got one foot out the door. So really, it's the backup point guard is Malachi Flynn. Personally, I've always liked Malachi Flynn, but I don't know if he's going to have a role on this team with Sasser, with Ivy, with Cade already there. And then Grimes. Grimes is the main the main guy. We knew on another wing. Why we say this isn't a bad trade is Andy and I said it so much in the last like month, maybe since the season started, like Bojan and Burks, you got to get them out of here. They're too much of a liability. They're getting in the way of a star. They're getting in the way of Sasser. That opens up the minutes, should open up the minutes for those guys now to play real minutes and just roll with the kids. It does bring in another wing in Grimes who can shoot the three and who does play defense. So that's the big part about it. But the other reason why we're saying it's a disappointment, because I do agree with Andy here that it's a disappointment. Quinn Grimes, 6'5", 205. He plays shooting guard. He can play the small forward as well. 36.3% from three-point range this year on 4.7 attempts. 38.6% from three last year on 5.7 attempts. And then 38.1% from three his rookie year on third on a 4.1 attempts per game so the three-point shooting has always been great but i mean he really is only a three-point shooter there's only one season so far in the nba he's played where he's taken over two attempts from two-point range at all his rookie season he took one attempt from two all, all year this year so far he's only taken 1.6 attempt from two i mean that's just not a lot and the other part about it is the overall field goal percentage for Quentin Grimes right now is 39.5%. That is not good. Any player, I mean, we should know with how many guys on this team who have shot under 40%. That's not good. And Quentin Grimes' true shooting percentage right now is 54.3%. 
Do I think he's going to stick at that? I don't, just because as a rookie, he was 56.5%. Last year, he was fantastic, 61.9%. The bet is that he is going to get more towards that 60% again, or somewhere between 56 and 60, 61%. I, I know part of it is just like the role has changed for Grimes on and off the bench. Last year, he was the starter for most of the year. He played close to 30 minutes per game last year. So maybe that's the sell is like, hey, when we come bring this guy in and he plays more of the role and gives more of the shine like he did last year. And he's not just like on and get off again kind of guy. He is dealing with injury too. I think he was out with a knee knee issue um like in the last like couple of weeks or so. If that, I don't know if that was legit or not, or if we just had to do with the trade and like trying to find somewhere to move him. But it's somebody that has had a his lowest value so far in the NBA and the Knicks don't clearly have room for anymore. They don't want to pay him because they've already got OG there. They got to pay OG. They've already paid Brunson and they're lining up to try and find the next guy that they want to pay. I think Grimes is fine. I think really, even though I don't like that, that he barely takes twos. It's not a big deal here. We've said it so often. We just want a guy like this to come in and be like, jack up threes, jack up threes. But if you're a three-point shooter and you're under 55% true shooting, it's not good. Can he get back to above that? Yeah, absolutely. But this is the one guy. The one guy that's supposed to be the big cornerstone of it is still very much in limbo and very much, like I said, at kind of the lowest point of his value right now. Also, when I did dive into to Quentin Grimes, in the first 11 games of the season, he was shooting 39.7% from three on 5.7 attempts per game missed a couple games, comes back in every game after that. It's something like 34 ever since after those first 11 games of the season when he came back, he's shooting like 34% three, around like four and a half per game. So, again, all of his points to like very much in limbo. It could go either way. We've seen plenty of guys like this that start off hot from three. We had one before, then they gave up on and, and traded away. So the defense, though, the defense is great with Ben Grimes. He comes out of the Houston system. He's played for Tibbs. If you get minutes for Tibbs, you know how to play defense at a really high level and understand on and off ball defense concepts. Tibbs doesn't give you minutes without those things. So we shall see. Like you said, I, I want to see it play out on the court. I really do hope they give Grimes around like 30 minutes per game because I do think that is going to maximize him. It's clear now this season like that bench role and like not letting him get going doesn't help as much as last season where again they gave him more than 30 minutes let him launch away from three and he rewarded them with around 60 percent a little bit just above 61 percent true shooting really hope that's the quentin grimes we get here yeah and i guess what we'll see is and this is getting ahead of myself but monty's going to show us a lot on who he plays after this trade deadline because like you said, I want to see Cade and Ivy and then throw Grimes in there and see how he fits. Is he able to knock down the open shots? Does he play enough defense that he's a very good complement for them? He's already played with Sasser. So all four of them, like all the guard minutes should be gone just with those guys. And that would even include, you know, Cade playing a little bit at the three and Grimes playing a little bit at the three. Not much, but there's all our minutes, you know, right there for that position. Now. Does Monty give some minutes to like Shake or does he do some other things? And do we not get to see that, which I think would be a disservice? It should just be all the young guys with just a little bit of vets to compliment them to see what they really need this offseason. Yeah, I agree. I don't know that I want to say Grimes should like immediately come in and be a starter, but. I mean, 23 years old, he's still 23 years old. We've said it so, so, so much. Just play the young guys. I kind of think he probably should come in right away and start with the defense with the three-point attempt rate being like 60 or 70%. It's clear like that's what he knows to do. We saw already with Gallinari, who, shout out Gallo, RIP your Pistons career. He's already been waived as well. But with Gallo and with Muscala immediately coming in and just firing away for three, like, you got to play Grimes, especially with Caden Ivy. We ca cannot say it enough. Just load up on shooters. 
<laughs> I'm going to spoil some uh, of the off-season stuff I have planned, but my argument for any free this team brings in going forward, they have to shoot threes. They have to shoot threes at a high level. And like That probably has to be the primary skill set because if you want to know about Caden Ivey, that's what you have to surround them with. And Grimes does give them that versatility of like, you know, we said before, splitting up Kate and Ivy, where you maybe you start all three of them. One of Kate or Ivy comes off, Grimes loops over the shooting guard. Then you can bring in like an Asar to play the three alongside um, like Fontecchio or to, alongside Stu and Duran and whoever the backup center is going to be. Like that just seems to make the most sense. It's like play Grimes. Yeah, as a starter, play him around 30 minutes, please. No, do you have anything to add to this Burks and Boyan for Grimes and whatever else? We'll we'll get to second round picks, like because the second round pick thing I'm gonna kind of talk about here at the end. But do you have anything else to add? No, I don't I don't have much to add. Um other than for not getting much in return. We've talked so much before about wasted time. Like you didn't need to make trades to play the young guys and have them developing. Besides what the Pistons were doing, so we can we can move on. So the next trade is the one that happened before this is for some uh, Simone Fontecchio, who was playing for the Jazz. So the Pistons get Fontecchio, who's a power forward, small forward, a really good shooter, and we gave away to the Utah Jazz Kevin Knox, the draft rights Gabriel Porchita. And then a 2024, so this year's second-round pick, and it's the more favorable of Memphis or Washington. I have strong feelings that this is a really bad trade for the Pistons, but I'm going to let you lead off. Okay, so I also tweeted out, I don't like this trade. I'm not a fan of this trade. Um, And the argument people say is they're like, well, Fontecchio is already the player we hope that we could get with the second round pick. And most people have said he's a better version of Kevin Knox. And he's, you know, by far, basically he's what we had all hoped Isaiah Livers would be. That's basically what he is. And you know what? That's fair. I think I'm okay with that. But my question is, how much better is he really than Knox? And then what else could we have gotten with that second round pick because if you look at Washington's record, it's going to be like the second or third pick in the second round. Like it's a good second round pick. And I know people yeah, are Memphis and Washington both suck. So to get the more favorable of them, they yeah. suck almost as bad as we do. It's right there in the high thirds. Yeah, it's going to be a, a good pick. So for me, it's like, well, what else could we have gotten with that pick? And I'll talk about it later, but for me, this if you look at everything that Weaver did at this trade deadline, it was basically slanted to maximize even more cap space for next season, which for me is stupid. It is absolutely stupid. Like none of the players he traded for are coming back next season, except for Grimes, which is a small contract. And Fotecchio is a restricted free agent. So we have control there. We have his bird rights. We could sign him over the cap after we use up all our cap space. So he's planning on doing some big, like signing some big contracts. Is It looks like that's what his plan is. But it's like, why does that? Because that basically eliminated all the other trade options because he didn't want players coming back who would use up that cap space. And I'm sure there was probably some other options we'll never know about. But for me, I'm not like gung-ho about this. The thing I am happy about is that they moved Boyan. If they would not have moved Boyan and gotten Fontecchio, I would have been very upset. So this, I'm happy they moved Boyan, but just in a vacuum for this trade, I'm like, eh, okay, not, nothing great. So who is this player, Fontecchio, and supposedly being, you know, the Knox, the version of Knox that we wanted? Well, Fontecchio is, a six foot eight, two hundred nine pounds, listed at small forty, can play power forward some as well. Currently this season, Fontecchio is scoring eight point nine points per game, pulling in three point five rebounds, dishing out one point five assists per game, zero point six steals, zero point four blocks per game, playing twenty three point two minutes per game. 
Student glitz for Mr. Fontecchio are 56% from two-point range, 39.1% from three and 4.7 attempts per game, and then 80% from that free throw line. All of this translates into a 59.2% true shooting percentage. So yes, that is good. This does seem like a good bench player, a good stretch forward. We have to play three or the four and play some like kind of spot up starter minutes if you really wanted to. I mean, on this Jitson's team too, and if you shoot it that well, you can play starter minutes if you really wanted to. You could run Ivy Cade, Grimes, Fontecchio, Duran, and even maybe even Sue in there where everybody's capable of a three point shot. That would be an interesting lineup to roll out there. Why? This is the one that I like these these two this is the Monte Morris trade like Fontecchio was an undrafted guy Utah didn't have to spend any money on him they utilized their fantastic international scouting department to bring in this guy who's 27 years old who somebody believed in and was like we should give him a shot last season he didn't do that well. He had like a 49.5% true shooting. Looked like the NBA was too much for him. Then he figured it out this year and found a role in this rebuilding Utah team. That guy that was free for Utah, that they utilized their scouting department, a branch of international scouting department that not every team is great at. Utah found this guy, brought him in, took a year to develop him for free. They traded him for Kevin Knox, who's still young who rehabilitated his stock here, who could play small forward and power forward as well. We don't know what his role is, but he did look like he's turning around here. And we traded him again. Like Kevin Knox, I don't, I'm sorry, Kevin Knox. I'm sorry for what you've gone through. This team, this, like, this is like the bad, you know, toxic relationship here where no baby, I need you back. And then they just break up and then, you know, they're in financial straits or whatever and bring them back. This is poor Kevin Knox. That's what happened to him. So Fontecchio, Utah got him for free. They developed him in just a year and a half, basically. And he is worth Kevin Knox. He's worth the rights to Gabriel Porchita, who, again, we have no idea how good he could be. We have no idea. Never even saw him in the business or never saw him in the practice facility. Never saw him in the G League. Nothing. We have no idea. And then they gave away a really good second round pick. That could be somebody like a Malcolm Brogdon. That could be somebody like a Nick Claxton. That could be somebody like a Javon Carter. The list goes on and on. A Jalen Brunson. These high second-round picks. High second-round picks are actually really good. Go look every single draft class. There's normally like two to three guys in that 31 to like 40 range that you're like, oh, yeah, they should have gone in the first round. And like the smart teams kept those picks. This guy was for free again for Utah. Utah turned this guy that they didn't spend any resources on other than just, you know, the contract, bringing him in, maybe, you know, like, because he's Italian, integrating him into the U.S. or whatever. Nothing. They, they, this is how smart GMs and good teams work. Like, Troy Weaver got fleeced on this one. And it's on the margins. I mean, it is on the marginal fleece. It goes back to Lass's idea of like, even when he does something I like, like bringing a useful NBA rotation player. It took one young guy who's rebuilding his stock, who's on his way up. It took another young guy who we've never even seen who might end up being a good rotation piece. And then another draft pick of a rookie we could bring in right now this year to help with the rebuild. So it, it costs three potential young guys that can fill roles for a 28-year-old dude that Utah got for free. Way to go. Yeah, I didn't know he was undrafted. And when I first saw it, I didn't realize he was a restricted free agent. So I just thought it was the last year of his, his contract. But um, and then he was going to be a free agent because I was like, oh, we have it backwards. Like, this is what you're supposed to be doing, Troy. We were supposed to move the expiring guy and get picks. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. So him being restricted does help. Um, he allows the team to the young guys to play the way they need to play. His defense will be better than Boyan. So I like that. But is it a big needle mover? No. Um, and we can look back at it, you know, next season, even by the end of this season, when people are like, oh, okay, well, he's okay on defense and he spaces the floor. and 
okay, that's really all he does. And then they're like, okay, that really didn't accomplish much. And I'm hoping he's going to be better. I'm hoping that, you know, I'm just being a little bit negative. It's just, I'm not pumped about, oh, like this is, this, this is going to help us turn the corner. And then we move on to Monte Morris. Monte Morris got traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who do really need a backup point guard for Troy Brown Jr., Jake Milton, and a 2030 second round pick. So that pick will not convey until the year 2030. And then somehow the Pistons also got uh, Daniel House and what else from the 76ers? New York's 2024 second round pick and some cash. And I guess the, the Pistons set out their 2028 second round pick, top 55 protected. That I guess that was just to help them out and get Daniel House off their books, but that was another confounding one. I just want to throw that in there real quick because we're not going to like dive into it other than second round pick stuff. But Monte Morris, your thoughts on the Monte Morris deal and maybe the Monte Morris experience with the Pistons? So I took my kids to the open practice, which is in the preseason. We get there early so we can sit in the front row because I tell my boys I'll never be able to afford to buy you these tickets. Sorry, but we could sit here for open practice. Got to see Monte Morris getting shots up, warming up. This was in the preseason. And we didn't see him on the court until, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago. And. We had that tweet where he tweeted out the cap with the injury stuff and who knows what's going on or what went on behind the scenes, but the whole thing wasn't good. I mean, I'm a fan of Monty Morris and I still hope he does very well. Honestly, I don't think he's looked very good since he's returned, but he hasn't played basketball since basically a full year. It's almost been so. I just don't think it's a good look for the team, especially with his background like it it just doesn't look good I just it it just makes me question so many more things about this organization yeah this is another one where I got very upset I'm pretty sure that agents are going to look at this Monte Moore situation and be like we already didn't like Detroit but now we don't want to deal with them because this team essentially used Monte Morris uh, that cap tweet has just stayed in everybody's mind for so long. And people at that time were like, I guess he's being traded now. This seems like they're sitting him out. And maybe that's why the reason he had to remove it right away is because he knows he's not really that seriously injured, but they're working deals trying to put him. In the meantime, all the team has done is put him on socials to be like, oh, look at all this stuff he's done for his hometown of Flint. We're really proud of him. Oh, look at all these things he wants to do in the city of Detroit and his connections. We're so proud of him. Hey, we even had Monty Morris at giveaway night because we know locally he is going to draw money. And, oh, look, all these guys showed out to his high school jersey retirement in Flint. Look at how great he's a part of the team. And then they trade him. And I'm trying not to cuss, but I'm pretty pissed at this one. I've always been a big Monty Morris fan. And you're right, like, it seems like Whatever was going on on the court, it hadn't really translated yet. But it is also hard when Monty Williams is playing you like 10 to 16 minutes. He was always at the end of the rotation. Monte Morris was. And wasn't he sold to us as like, oh, we need this guy, just like a Joe Harris was sold. Oh, we need this guy. Hey, Joe Harris, they just waved him too. Thanks a lot, buddy, for your like five games or whatever that you played. Why would you believe anything this team says when Monte Morris, the local guy who they put on front of billboards, who they did a promotion for, who they used his image and his love for his you know, city, his love for the state of Michigan, they used him just so they could trade him away for Troy Brown, Jake Milton, and a pick that won't convey for another six years, right? Like... I know basketball is a business, but this is the one where I'm like, you did not have to do this, right? They did not have to do this, Bob. Well, that's what's so confusing for the organization for me is because it's like, okay, yes, it's a business, but they like to say they don't do things like a business. And if you look at the Gallinari thing where they waived him so he can go play for whoever he wants to play for, 
that looks like, oh, we're doing a, doing a solid for the vet so he can go where he wants to go. But with Monty Morris, it's like, unless he didn't want to be here, but nothing he said sounded like he didn't want to be here. It sounded like he was looking forward from the day he got traded here to suiting up and playing for the Detroit Pistons. So like you said, I, I don't believe anything they say. Like, I just, I wait for, for their actions. I see who they trade. I see who they put in the lineup. I see who they sit on the bench. That's what I believe. Cause whatever they say, I, I don't trust them. Yeah. It's just like when you're a team that is not the LA Lakers, when you're a team that is not the New York Knicks, you're not a destination. You're not this big money franchise that has pocketbooks that just uh, seem endless. When you're an Indiana Pacers, when you're a Memphis Grizzlies, when you're a Detroit Pistons, and you have somebody that is like, I can't wait to play for you. You know, I love this place. I, I can't believe I'm finally here and they're actually a good player. Why would you ever let them go? Like, why would you treat them the way that this team has treated Monte Morris? It makes no sense. It's like when you get a guy that's useful, that can fit in your culture, they can fit in your program, that can mentor the young guys. And then you just sit them all year and then trade them away for chances on whatever. And on second round picks, they, let's be clear here in transition. You do not care about second round picks unless they're named Isaiah Livers. Apparently, look at the second round picks that this team has had so far. Saban Lee was gone like within what, two or three years. Luca Garza had a cup of coffee here and there, did really well in the G League that helped out the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is where he is now. And he basically auditioned for the Timberwolves here. And Balsa Kalpravicha, who everybody clowned that pick of like, this is ridiculous. And he never even played for the Pistons. He never showed up at all, just like a Gabriel Prochito who never showed up for the Pistons, never even played at all. When you had Jaden Hardy going the pick right after uh, Gabriel Prochito, who, oh, by the way, is from Detroit, who you probably should have had more eyeballs on because he's right here in your front yard. I mean, and then the Isaiah Liver situation of just like, oh, there's the one you believed in. And guess what? You, you basically threw out Sadiq because you're like, we believe in Isaiah Livers. And then you've thrown out a bunch of bizarre development this year because you're like, we deserve, or we believe in Isaiah Livers. I'm sure there's some other second round picks here. And just think of the amount of second round picks this team has traded already so far. They just throw them away like candy for whatever reasons or Marvin Bagley for, I don't even know who, like they've done it before or it's just, Maybe the, the Jalen Dern one, too. Like, there, it's clear this team, just like the G League, they do not care about second round picks because they've only really developed one guy, like, tried to develop one guy. And everybody else, they've just thrown away or pushed down the lineup or picked guys that they obviously never even were going to play. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've done whole shows on how they, they miss on the margin so much. And people always say it's not a big deal. But when you add it up, you realize how much of a hole they dig themselves into. And you can honestly look at this trade deadline and say, yeah, this is actually status quo. This is how they do things. You look at how many extra players that they had to waive. I mean, it's rumors, so who knows if it's true. But if Killian does end up with Memphis, I mean, it's like, even if we could have just got a trade exception for sending him there, that's better than nothing. That's better than having to waive him. But when teams are looking at your roster and they're like, oh, you got like five extra players on your roster. We're not going to give you anything. You're going to have to waive some of them. We'll take our chances. It's like you have no leverage. Like, what are you going to do? And there was people who wanted Gallinari. There's a lot of teams who are looking at him to add him in. And it's like, no, we didn't send him to anyone. We didn't get anything back for him. And then as soon as trade deadline's over, oh, yeah, um, he's not with the team. And we're going to go ahead and, and wave him so then he can go where he wants to go. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah, and the smart teams create value from things like second-round picks. Memphis today traded Xavier Tillman and got something for him. They also traded David Roddy, I believe, and they got something for him. Dave Roddy's a late first-round pick, but that's what they do. They acclimate these picks that maybe other people don't like or maybe people undervalue, and that's how you keep your franchise afloat. I know Memphis sucks this year too, but they are so far ahead of Detroit because they got a Gigi Jackson that's looking pretty good. They got a Vince Williams who made that big leap. They got a Sandy Aldama who can stretch the floor and shoot some threes so easily there in the rotation. And like I said before, they hit on a Desmond Bain 
who was like the 30th pick, 28th pick somewhere. You only have to hit on one of them to really make these things work. And it's clear the Pistons just don't care about that. And it's just, like you said, snowball. So many different things. We don't care about the G League. We're not actually going to utilize it. So that cuts off one development path. Oh, all these second round picks, we only believe in one guy. We're just going to throw the rest by the wayside or just waste them. There's another development path cut off. Our first round picks, even when we bring in somebody like a Marcus Sasser, oh, we're not going to give them an actual role. Then the coach we have is going to kind of play them here and there and spot minutes. And even our number five overall picks, like a star, like Jaden Ivey, yeah, you, you got to play defense. So I'm not going to play you, even though you dropped 37 points when I actually play you legitimate minutes because I have no other choice. This is how you're the suckiest team in the NBA because of all of these things and this wasting of second round picks. This wasting of somebody like Amante Morris who wants to be here, who has game and is like the great PR person too as well. It's just this this is why like I said you're the worst team in the NBA. All of it, man. All of it is just clear and present here at the trade deadline. Since, since you were talking about second-round picks, let's look at, you mentioned Gigi Jackson. Where was he picked? Oh, second round. Um, we burned two... Late, late in the second round, too. Yeah, we burned two second-round picks to move up to get Sasser. And when, we, when people had rumors about us trading Monte Morris to the Minnesota Timberwolves, so many people online were hoping we'd get Leonard Miller, Leonard Miller who was a second round pick who we could have picked without burning picks to get. So it's just like you said, they, they totally don't know what they're doing when it comes to the second round. They burn picks. They don't develop the talent. Yeah. We're it's, it's rough. So you're probably wondering why the title of this podcast hasn't come up yet, because I think it's the thing that's in the background of all this and everything that's happened at the trade deadline. I was curious to see what was going to happen because the thing that stuck in my mind the most is that Tom Gore's conference call where he said, I'm unhappy. Troy knows I'm unhappy. If he doesn't make changes, I'm going to be unhappy. And I just wonder what is the changes that Gore's wants that would make him quote unquote happy? Or if that is, again, it's just meaningless words. Looking at all these things that have transpired, looking at what the Pistons now have after the trade deadline, my gut tells me this is not what Tom Gore has wanted. Only because look at the evidence we have so far. When Tom Gore wants changes, he trades for a Blake Griffin. When Tom Gore wants changes, he makes Monty Williams the highest paid player in the league. When Tom Gore wants changes, it obviously doesn't involve Andre Drummond. you got to stick with him until you have no choice but to just dump him or whatever. So I, I, unless Gore's is just completely changed or just, you know, wash his hands of the team and is like, I'm here, but I'm not actually going to do anything anymore. I really don't think this is the, the changes he wanted Troy to make, which we'll see how that plays out. Or if the conversation is like, oh, I expect changes, but I expect them by the off season in 2024, which <laughs> as we've said before, we're having Josh Smith flashbacks. We're having Ben Gordon, Charlie Neville, and the Weba flashbacks because those are the kinds of free agents that are out there this year that you're going to have to throw big money at. You have to throw big money at anybody right now if you're the Pistons want to get them to come here. And the top names are not going to want to come here anyway, so you're probably going to throw big money at way, way, way lesser talent. Yeah, and for me, that's where it... The theme on everything Weaver did at this trade deadline was still to maximize cap space. Like most people wouldn't even think that he would trade Boyan just for the extra cap space it gives the team, but he did it. He traded Boyan for more cap space, even though I think, when was it? Was it uh, in November when we did the pod where you were like, hey, free agency is already over. OG is gone. Like, like other than OG, like that's it. No, that was that was like in October is when the McDaniels <laughs> signed the extension. Oh, like, that's it. It's yeah. over. It's OG or bust, but it's pretty much over. <laughs> yeah. So back in October, you know, we already did the pod where we were like, "Hey, free agency is already over. Like the names that would actually make a difference are are gone." And it's like everyone has already not everyone, but 
the people who understand the salary cap and who pay attention to the league have said free agency is dead. The best players do not hit free agency. They sign extensions and then they get traded. So in an era where free agency is dead, Weaver is trying to get as much cap space as he can for free agency. And the first thing people will say is, oh, you can use cap space for other things. Yeah. And what has Weaver done with that? Not very much. So this year we have a ton of cap space. And now we just have to wonder if this is where he makes the mistake because he doesn't want to lose his job. Um, I do think the team is going to look much better just because, honestly, we look good when Bojan doesn't play. I know offensively it, it doesn't look as good at times, but we're just more competitive. And we're more competitive because of the defensive side of the court. I think the team will look better. It's still not a good team, but it will look better. Um, but that doesn't give me hope that this thing is going to look better. I'll have hope when Weaver is no longer the GM or if Monty steps down and is no longer the coach. I mean, I'm, I'm still open to Monty correcting things. We'll see how he finishes this season out. But when you look at how the season started playing Killian over Ivy, and then the team waves, uh, waves Killian. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, everything about this team is ridiculous. And I can't help but look at the, uh, some of the other deals too and realize, like, man, I don't understand how Troy still has a job. The Utah Jazz traded Ochai Kwaji and Kelly Olenek. Hey, remember him? For a first-round pick, among other things. I know the Pistons don't have an Ochai Kwaji, but they did have a Sadiq Bey who, like, keep it real, him and Ochai Kwaji, probably similar, like, value and you could have rehabilitated the stock to do something like that to where, hey, you still had Kelly Olenek and you had a younger guy that can fill a role. Or a first-round pick. And he traded to the Raptors and the Raptors want longer guys like Sadiq. Oshai's shorter, not quite as long as Sadiq. And has a skill set that you know the team would actually need. So there's one missed opportunity. And then the other one is the Hornets. The Hornets got Grant Williams. So I, I did want to, I'm not going to lie. That's part of it. But they were able to get another first round pick from Dallas because they ate that salary that Dallas doesn't want anymore. And I know PJ Washington is a better player than anything the Pistons had, like Boyan Burks. They're not going to return the Grant Williams in the pick. But they did have Jeremy Grant at one point. And maybe if you held on to him, you know, that's a better player than P.G. Washington. And that fits what Dallas absolutely 100% needs is somebody like that. So it's just like you, you can look at these things. And I know people are just going to be like, oh, you can say that about anything. But it just sucks when you see other rebuilding teams able to eat salary and get picks or eat salary and get a useful player like Grant Williams. It just shows, again, like Weaver cannot navigate this trade this trade waters as well as other teams. And he just hasn't been able to maximize value or create value out of nothing like the Fontecchio thing. Like it just sucks, man. Every trade that, that you see, it's just like, that's really the best you can do. And the Burks and the Bojan one, the, my final thought on it is just like, this seems like what do you have to take when you, you waited too long? Everything about it to me screams like you either take this or you take nothing at all because you had deals beforehand, which have been reported out there, whether or not you want to believe them. Everything about the Bullion and Burke deal screams to me like you got to take this because it's your last option and you probably waited too long. Well, I mean, his Weaver's track record is actually very good at destroying player value. And what I mean by that is when the Pistons traded for Bojan, as soon as we got him, the first thing I said was, oh, are we trading Sadiq Bey? Because basically they're, they're like overlapping players. And by him playing Bey or Bojan more, he basically reduced Sadiq Bey's value. So he killed Sadiq Bey's value. When we, he overpaid Bagley, before he overpaid Bagley, he drafted Durant and he got Nerlens Noel from the Knicks. Like you can't play all three of them. 
one of them is going to lose value because they're not doing anything. They're not playing. And then he doubles down and brings in Wiseman. So it's like, we're going to kill. Oh, he just killed Bagley's value. And then we got to get rid of him. Then with our backcourt of Cade, Ivy, and Killian, and we've got Burks, it's like, oh, let's move up and draft Sasser because that way we can probably try and kill somebody else's value. It's like it just, his roster construction, it doesn't make sense. He's always doing, putting things together in a way that it's like someone's going to lose value and then we end up moving them for nothing. Or now the new thing is, hey, we'll just start waiving a bunch of players because we can't structure deals in a way that we, we can't avoid from waiving people. Yeah, that's pretty much where it's come down to. So I don't know what else to say. Do you have anything else to add on this trade deadline? No, I'm I'm happy the trade deadline is over, so I don't have to to think about trades anymore or anything stupid that he's going to do. I'm probably going to give. My- now you just have to think about that for the offseason, Andy. What contract is he going to throw? And some, you know, the next Josh Smith, the next Charlie Villanueva. So my thing right now is, you know, probably giving Monty like a a five game cushion to figure out who he's got, who he's playing, how he's doing things. And then just seeing how the guys play, see how the roster looks, see if I need to start my hashtag fire Monty tweets again, which to be honest, I said I'm going to give him a fresh slate and I am. But to be to be completely transparent. I don't believe his relationship with Ivy is going to change even with Killian out of the picture because you just look at his comments. You look at how he does things last night in the win against the Kings. Jaden Ivy played well. He made his mistakes like he always does. No, he played fantastic. He didn't play well. He played fantastic. They, they were up by like 10 or 11 and he put Ivy on the bench and he brought Ivy back in when I think the Pistons were losing again. Like, and then in the fourth quarter, even when Ivy was cooking, there was a possession where he stood in the corner. He never touched the ball. They got a shot up and Ivy went and got an offensive rebound and then got fouled. Like Ivy just wants to win. And I am just tired of, of what Monty's doing. And same thing. I want a star to get as many minutes as possible because it doesn't make sense. That in, in certain situations, a star can start. I know it's due to injuries, but a star could start when Monty is also starting Killian, and somehow that could function. But then when we had Boyan and other shooters available, it's like, no, we can't start a star because the spacing doesn't work. That's just, that doesn't make any damn sense. But anyhow, before I go off on that, I'm going to give him a fresh chance. He's going to blow it, but that's okay. I'll give him a chance. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not going to give him a chance. Just because of doing the Jalen Duran deep dives, it's just made me more upset because clearly there's favoritism. Clearly, whatever set of expectations or parameters or whatever ridiculousness they put on Jaden Ivey like, does not apply to Jalen Duran. And it just seems like that's the case with individual players. Monty just likes who he likes. And then the guys that he doesn't, he's obviously going to treat badly even when they're playing well, like you just laid out with Ivey. Yeah, there's no reason why Ivy should be in a corner like ever unless he's going to run off a girl or unless he's going to run off a pin down, which he can do, which would be nice if we had a coach that did that. I can't believe what I'm about to say, but the more the season has gone on, I get why Kevin Ollie was the favorite. He developed a SAR. He would have played a SAR from day one. That's for sure. If you show, look at any of the stuff he did at OT, he likes guys like Jaden Ivy. He would have played Jaden Ivy a lot. And obviously, Cade. Like he would have emphasized the young guys. That's that. That's all that I'm saying. I don't know that it would have been any good, but from day one, he would have been like, Boyan, you're the one in the corner. Burks, you're the one in the corner. Killian, you're the one on the bench. Like it would have been pretty apparent. Um, and it probably would have been something like with OT, where they just let the athletic guys get out and run. But like Kate, like spam pick and roll um, with Bagley and, and Duran. So it's, yeah, and yeah, Machi's just treatment of, players uh, i've thought about doing an episode of like the old school coach but i don't really know how to put that into words other than just what i'm about to say here i do think there are old school coaches like a doc rivers like a monty williams even tibbs where like they clearly like who they like and they're just not going to change that 
There's no reason for them to change it. It's the reason why Montrezl Harrell got so much work under all those Doc Rivers teams, even when his, his offense fell off to where it couldn't make up for the fact that he's never been a good defender. Um, Tibbs, this is brush, brush guys left and right the wrong way. You can go see Sheed talk about Tibbs. I know Sheed is exactly like, you know, the most uh, level-headed dude. It, it gives you an idea of the kind of, of player there. And Rick Carlisle's been that way too. I mean, even with Luca, he and Luca kind of bristled and that's the reason why Carlisle was released from, from Dallas. I do think there's a lot of, of um, evidence, at least, that says a lot of these old school coaches it just seems to be that way that I don't know how you want to say it, like stuck in their ways or like they only fit a certain archetype. So that's why I say I really don't want to give Monty a chance. So I feel like he is who he is. We just have so much evidence that, like you said, he doesn't like Ivy. And for some reason, Duran could get a free pass, even when he has yet to record a block since the last time we recorded. He still is in the zeros. Looking at the Portland game right now, he's still at zero blocks now. It's really the only stat that I look at for Dern anymore. Like, I don't care about your getting all these offensive things. I care that you want to play defense and actually look to swat some shots, man. So after the Fontecchio trade, a few people were like, hey, I started watching more jazz stuff. And they're like, man, they run a bunch of creative offensive stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, Will Hardy is a good coach. Like, he's got them doing all kinds of stuff. and so. I mean, I guess for me, the the reason why I'm trying to give Monty a chance is because it's going to be a miserable time with him as the coach if he doesn't change at all. And there are some things that uh, scare the hell out of me because I like searched on Twitter for like 11 man rotation or something because I wanted to see what game it was that he didn't play Ivy until the second quarter. And a bunch of tweets came up from Suns fans who were like, oh, Monty's playing 11 guys again. Oh, Monty. And I'm like, oh, shit. This is like, this is who he is. That's what I say, man. These old school coaches, they are who they are. Or they're not going to change in their ways. So, yeah. Then on a positive note, though, Dayton Ivy has just looked fantastic. And it's made everything that Monty has said about him or the way that he treated him at the beginning of the season, like, look absolutely stupid. Right. Like there's no other way to put it. I don't know how I forget who we read last time. I think it was Duncan Smith who was like, I don't understand how you can see Jay Ivy in practice every day. And they'd be like, nah, let's throw that guy on the bench and play Killian. It's like kudos to Jay Ivy. And I think you tweeted it out about the level of professionalism that Ivy has handled this season with. It just speaks to the character of the young man that he hasn't even like shown bad body language, like in those games where he barely played or or he came off the bench. I mean, think about the Hamadou Diallo situation a couple of seasons ago where he blew up on Casey and they ended up working it out. Like, that's fine. But like, there hasn't been a hint of that with Ivy. And he would be justified. He would be totally justified to be able to do that. But Ivy has looked fantastic. And I really, really, really want to see him and Kate like blow up together. It'd be fantastic to see a night where they both drop 30. Hopefully Monty allows that to happen. For some reason, it's like he can't coach both of them on the court at the same time like it's absurd but that'll be another show yeah for sure do you have anything to add to our distance trade deadline podcast nope i'm feeling good though i i had a drink tonight don't usually drink on a thursday night but since boyan got traded i was like i'm gonna crack one open and and enjoy myself Hot champagne. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh Let's check in on the score here before we uh, get out of here. I know they were losing pretty badly when I checked in before, something like over 20 points. 71 to 56 at halftime for our Pistons here. So we'll see if they make any adjustments coming out of the tunnel for the second half. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait for a time when I see a Pistons squad that doesn't regularly allow a team to drop 70 at halftime. I feel like that's happened, like, what, half of the games? Well, we talked about it before we started recording. Hopefully, we do see a new commitment to the defensive end because everyone now is athletic enough that if they're not doing their job, they should go sit on the bench. The team should be playing better defense. So hopefully that can happen. But like you said, 
Monty likes who he, who he likes. He's going to criticize who he wants to criticize, and he's going to let other people do whatever they want to do. So we'll see. Yeah, and poor James Wiseman amongst among all of this. Anybody that should have gotten like more minutes, that's another one. Monty's like, nope. And I mean, we've been highly critical of James Wiseman, but at least give the guy a chance, right? Like when you don't have a backup center for all his time and he's sitting right there, he hasn't been that completely clueless. I can't believe I'm like defending Wiseman here, but there's been no indication as to why he shouldn't be playing when everybody else is injured. I Again, that's another one. I just don't get it. And another part of like creating value out of a, a player that you bring in, they've sunk his value. Like he was already struggling to have any value before coming here. It is a negative now. Yeah. And, and that goes back to the, the killing players value thing. It's like if you were smart, you would have committed to either Wiseman or Bagley, even if it was just to play them and then trade them like the Jazz did with Fontecchio. And then for the rest of the season, you play someone else. And it, but instead, we're like, no, let's start off with Bagley. Then we'll bench Bagley. And then we'll bench both of them. Then they'll have no value. And then we'll try and move them. Like, what's wrong with you people? Yeah. So Tom Gore's in the background of all this again. I really want to know what his idea of changes is. And if we'll hear anything from him at this trade deadline. Because he's the one that, that made it happen. And he's the one... Where the if I were in the media, I would want to follow up with him and be like, "Hey, you said you know you weren't going to be happy if if Troy um, didn't make any changes. Is this what you meant? Is this like the changes that you envisioned?" Because I, it would be nice to hear from the owner who supposedly cares about getting out of this. Well, I'm looking forward to Weaver's next letter. I want to know what he can possibly write in a letter following the last. What his uh, staff or his secretary or his ghostwriter put together i forget who tweeted it out but they're like there's no way troy weaver wrote that thing there's not enough ums and ahs in it so and being the university instructor here i might have mentioned this once before i always give my students uh public speaking or like presentation assignment because that is one thing as a college student like you have to know that stuff later on specifically if you're like a business student or even in the hard sciences you end up having to be on a panel where like you present your your work and your research findings in front of everybody, you're a business student, especially in like marketing and in advertising. Like that's all that you do is present these, you know, possibilities and these plans and these advertising campaigns in front of people. You have to be a good speaker. Troy Weaver is the absolute worst speaker I have ever seen. Public speaking wise, he gets lost on points. He ums and he awes everything. He just never seems like he can make a definitive answer. It seems like the questions that are place before him like he's never even considered when it's like these are basic gm questions it just is always baffling to me i'm like really like he's the he's the gm um yeah it's just personality wise things but it always makes me laugh and it may always made me kind of think like he's probably a really good scout because <laughs> he's just like sitting in the stands or watching film and stuff and not getting in front of camera and media all the time so it's just always funny to me Roy weaver's uh you know lack of public speaking if i were if you were my student i would probably give him that so um an idea for one of the next shows is evaluating some of the other teams trades and what their gms did because i think it's always good to compare and contrast and be like oh this is this is what a competent team did like you just look at OKC and what they did, and they always do things. It's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, apparently Andy hates me and wants me to be further depressed by this episode. <laughs> it's going to be so bad just because there are a lot of like smart moves made here, and it's clear that this didn't create enough value out of a lot of the stuff. But uh, we, well, if you want to, we can do it. But again, I know it's going to bum me out for sure. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I, I won't put you through that. <laughs> we'll just let it go. <laughs> well, we'll think about it. Because, I mean, during the All-Star break, we have to turn. And it would be useful to like, look at some and be like, this is what we're talking about. Um, yeah, because yeah, I, I brought a little bit of the Jazz one with Akbaji and, and Olenek and then the Charlotte one where they got Grant Williams. But I think there's other ones that like sneakily under the radar. And, of course, OKC's at, at the 
forefront of it. Somebody tweeted out they got Gordon Hayward for like a bag of Doritos, which they kind of did. And Hayward's not not washed, and not not like he's the player he used to be. But we can still use the player and still finding value out of the things that you created more value for. So, Randy, let everybody know where they can find you one last time. You can find me on Twitter at d underscore d underscore pistons underscore fan. Oh, it's been fun. Ivy K Grimes Stu. Duran, Fontecchio, Faster. Who else? It's not, the new man rotation would be nice, but. Yep. Asar. And, uh, so, yeah, I'm sorry, Asar. And, and you, can, uh, you can add in Muscala just to space the floor, and we're good. That's it. Just run them. Just play them, Monty. Troy Brown Jr., who's gotten better as a three point shooter, has always been a good defender. Probably throw him in there as well. He's maybe the Knox replacement. Yep. All right, man. All right. Next time. Yes, hopefully we'll get a better sample size of games. You know, the Monty actually plays all these guys in that actual rotation. So we will catch you next time, everybody. Have a good night.